Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them, because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. We have been studying the gospel according to John for a few weeks now, and we have shared that the the underlying purpose, if you would, of John in this 
the reason for his writing is to undergird the church, the unity of the church, in the presentation of that which they needed to be unified in, and that is the deity of Christ, that he is the Son of God who came to the earth, took on flesh, in order that he might become the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And that, um, it's funny, from my quiet time this morning, I was in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul was talking about that he had referred to the, the, the Corinthian church as carnal. He couldn't refer to them as spiritual. And he says, and the reason was, is that they were looking at men and following the teachings of man rather than focusing on Christ. When the church truly, honestly focuses on Jesus, they become unified. But when the church begins to focus on men, teachings of men, and the opinions of men, it always brings division. And so, again, just as a reminder, that John is writing this probably in 80 A.D. time frame to 90 A.D. time frame. By this point, so think about it, if Jesus died 29 A.D., 30 A.D. in that ballpark, we're talking about just 50 years after the death of Christ. And already the church was being fractured from within, from without, by false teachers who were, as we talked about in Galatians in, in, in Sunday school, by Judaizers who were coming in, teaching the Gentiles that they needed to become circumcised, they needed to follow the laws of Moses. So there was all this going on that was happening. Another, again, one of those doctrines that was being taught was Gnosticism. And that is the other side, which, again, Paul had to fight both sides as well when he's writing, because there would be people who were fighting against Paul, wanting the people to go under the Mosaic Law, but then there would be the people who were looking at Paul, saying Paul was teaching this secret knowledge as well, of knowing, knowing God. And so wanting to go to this, you have to have this secret knowledge thing going on. And Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So there's all this battle going on where people just wanting to draw a crowd after themselves rather than pointing them to Jesus. And so John, in writing this, is trying to get the people to focus on Jesus. That's the whole point of this. And so just the first chapter, as we went through, the, we spent a couple weeks, three weeks going through chapter one, we saw that John makes very clear, either direct or indirect statements regarding the deity of Christ. So the first week, the second message on John, Chuck had present, gave it the overview of John, but then as we went through chapter 1, so the first message on chapter 1, we saw about the Word became flesh, right? And so when we saw that the Word, the incarnation of the Word, we saw that He is the Word of God, who was God, who was the Creator, and who became flesh. The second message was on the voice in the wilderness about John the Baptist, theoretically. But John then gives testimony to who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah of God, the Son of God, and the Lamb of God. And then last week, or two weeks ago, as we looked at the end part, titled Come and See, where we saw Jesus calling the disciples and disciples beginning to follow him, that he was omniscient, which is again an attribute of God, and that in his words to Nathaniel, he refers back to the the, um, the time of Jacob seeing the, the heavenly vision of the, the ladder coming from heaven with the angels ascending and descending and says that that's me, that he is the way to God. 
And so as we look at those things, um, John is giving us this clear presentation of the deity of Christ. Today, as we go into chapter 2, he's going to begin to give us another aspect of that. And I realized in reading my introductory notes this morning as we were singing the, or having the, the scripture reading was being done as well, I realized that it, it doesn't sound right. It sounds like John is doing the signs and wonders. But John is actually going to be giving testimony to the signs and wonders, the miracles that Jesus did. Now, what's kind of fun about this is, though, um, is that, Oh, I want to make a comment here about John's presentation of the gospel as well. That the others, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are very chronologically based. John, though he's seeking to be chronological, that's not really his, his focal point. He's not, in other words, not starting at the baptism of Jesus and then going the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. What we're going to see is that he is sign or miracle based. He's got, a, he's got a point here. He's proving the deity of Christ. That's his whole point. Not, he's not going to, you know, Luke showing the, the Jesus kind of as a servant, as the manhood of Jesus kind of thing, and, uh, but also being deity. And so he's got a, as he's writing, it's just a total chronological, it's a historical fact. Jesus is historical, is really the idea of Luke. You know, this is something that you can sink your teeth into. This is real stuff, okay? Um, Matthew is writing to the Jewish nation. He's proving that Jesus is... Messiah. Makes sense? They all had their purpose. So they, they did this chronological thing. But John, he's really going to be more sign-focused here, okay? Um, and that is to prove Jesus who he is. So as we go into it, it's important for us to understand then um, what the signs are all about and what the signs are. Um, there are, um, I'll mention in a moment as well when we get into the second sub-point, and then is that there are classically considered to be six signs, Johannine signs, that are recorded. I'm going to share with you, and you can see on the summer note sheet, I think there are seven, potentially even eight, but seven using the, um, the structures for why they are what they are. Okay? So first of all, the purpose of signs. Okay? Um, we see from John chapter 2, verse 11, okay, we'll come back to verse 1, in, in, on in just a moment when we consider the events. But now looking at the signs, if you look just at verse 11 there, when it starts to talk about these signs that Jesus performed, it says, this is the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Okay, we'll stop there for a moment because we have the end, which we're going to come to in a moment. So the first purpose is that it manifested the glory of Christ. I believe as the son of God. Okay, it revealed him in a special way. So as we're going to come to turning the water into wine, the reality is not everybody has the ability to turn water into wine. Now, I say that, okay, because step back for a moment. You, you should know enough of the Bible to say, well, there was somebody who turned what? Water into blood. But there wasn't just somebody. There was some bodies, plural. What happened when Moses turned water into blood? Pharaoh's magicians did so too, okay? So, so I'm not diminishing what Jesus did. Make sense? However, it is the beginning of signs. It revealed an ability that he had to, to be able to cause a substance to go through some chemical transformation on the moment, at the spot, and for water to instantly turn into wine. Not just one pot, but multiple pots. And not just cheap wine, 
but good wine, okay? So we'll, again, maybe talk about that in a little bit, okay? Now, this is important because at the very end of the book of John, okay, and it's way down there for a reason. You'll see it in a moment, okay? And that is that truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the what? The Son of God. So, again, the first, the first purpose of these signs is to manifest the glory of Jesus, okay, as the Son of God. Secondly, as we saw and his disciples believed in him. It confirmed the Messianic um, office of Jesus in order that people would believe. So, it not only proved that Jesus was God, but more importantly, and I say more importantly, more importantly from our perspective, if you would, that we would what? We would believe. Because it's only in that belief that you are what? Saved. Now, I mean, this is a big deal that Jesus is God. Okay? I get that. But... If Jesus came to the earth to prove that he was God, but didn't die for your sins, that would really be awful, wouldn't it? <laughs> you get it? But he did all that. He did all that in order that we might be able to believe in him. That's the plan of God. That we could come by faith, by belief, knowing what he, who he is and what he has done for us, and that I can't do a thing, I don't have to do a thing, all I have to do is believe. And if I would believe, then I would be saved. So, he did these things, he did these signs, in order that people would know who he was, because he he was that, it didn't matter. So, step back for a moment, he doesn't do the signs, and no one knows who he is. Is he still the Son of God? Do you get what I'm saying? He's still the Son of God. But he's doing these things, then, in order for us to know it, so that we might believe. So, again... John 12, 36 to 37. Um, when we get there, maybe we'll talk about this again. But this is a huge statement. Look what it says. While you have the light, Jesus is talking to the Jews, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he did so many signs before them, they what? They didn't believe. Now, I mean, I get it. You turn water into wine, you're thinking, ah, oh, you know, okay, I heard Moses did that. I heard the... Uh, the guys from Pharaoh did that too. Um, could be a little bit of a charlatan thing going on here. Maybe, you know, just a, a doer of miracles. But there are other things that we're going to talk about, right, as we go on, and I'll mention here in a moment, that were indisputable to proclaim him who he was. And again, then, he did these things that you might what? Believe. That's the whole point. And so John says, look, he did other, so many other signs. I could write, I mean, it would take an entire another book. It would be amazing. He said, but these are written. I chose these signs because by themselves, they prove who Jesus is. They prove that he's the Son of God. Do you get it? So this is a big deal. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that all Scripture is what? God breathed. You know what I believe. So look at it. Pretty good. Okay? So I believe that all Scripture is God breathed. Right? So that means that John really didn't write this. Remember I said, shared this from the beginning? That... You know, this is really impressive, but John didn't really write it. I mean, God used him, right? But the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote this through John. So God chose, decided that these signs would be enough for anybody who reads this book to know that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for their sins. I say that there's a lot of places where you can have people begin to read the Bible. I like having them start in Genesis 
from that perspective, but I also like having them start in John because these things are written for a reason, for a purpose that people will believe. So what are those signs? Well, first of all, we have this one in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, the turning of water into wine, right? Because we're told that this is the beginning of signs. That's pretty simple, right? And then secondly, there's a healing of the official son um, in chapter 4, verses 46 to 54. Now, what I didn't share was um, when people determine um, these signs, these six signs, these are also the the word sign, the the Greek word for miracle, seminia, um, is used 17 times in the book of John. It's used 77 times throughout the entire New Testament. 17 of those times are here in the book of John. Okay? Every one of these that we're going to talk about are indicated as being specifically a sign. Okay? So like I'm, I'm walking on water is not going to be here because that wasn't specifically referred to as a sign. Okay? But... The healing of official official son, you can go there and check it out. In chapter 4, verse 46 to 54, was referred to as a sign. Now, what's exciting about it, and we'll talk about it when we get there, is that what was special about this healing? Does anybody know off the top of your head? It was remote. It was remote. Somebody said that. I heard someplace. It was a remote healing. This is like when he healed the, 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 the servant of the, the centurion of Capernaum, right? I didn't need to go there, you know? Shoot, he's done. He's healed. Just go. And the guy believes, and he goes, and he finds out the exact hour Jesus said it, he's healed. That's pretty cool, okay? This showed that he didn't necessarily have to be there to touch somebody, okay? That he was in, he was in, in control, okay? The healing of the lame man, chapter 5, verses 1 to 18. What's exciting about that? That's at the pool of Bethesda, right? What do we know about that guy? He'd been lame for a long time, a long time, okay? So Jesus heals him, right? What's important about that? Well, yeah, okay, we'll get there. That's a side subject. It's on the Shabbat, but um, that becomes a, a problem area. But what's important about the actual healing? Where was he at? Salome, not Bethesda, but Salome. Okay, what was going on at the pool of Salome? Waiting for an angel, whatever, to agitate the water. They go down, and they're what? They're healed. So what did Jesus do? He overrode, he didn't need it. I didn't, exactly, he didn't need that. He healed, right? And so he healed a guy then who had been this way for many, many years, right? Okay? Then we have the feeding of the multitude, which is itself. So right after this is when Jesus walks on water, but the multitude, feeding of the multitude is considered a sign, is discussed as a literal sign. Okay? And because of the sign, they want to, they, they want to make him the king, right? They, they come in and says, no, 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 you can't do that, right? This shows, again, that he is able to multiply just like the manna in, in, the, in the quail. This is only bread and fish, but that he's able to multiply food, okay? The healing of a man born blind, okay? What, what is stated coming out of this? Never what? He's never been able to see, but never what? Never has it Never has it ever happened that any man born blind has been given back his sight. When we get there, we'll talk about that. It's a huge, 
huge statement. Now, we see today, we go, oh, you know, but I think, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I mean, I really get into this stuff sometimes trying to think about Jesus as the ophthalmologist, you know, and that he knows exactly all the retinal issues and everything are going on behind the scenes and stuff like that. And I mean, did he give him a cornea transplant at the, at the very moment? Was it a retinal transplant at the moment? Was he, was he flipping the, you know, was it a switch in the back? And I don't understand all this stuff, but flipping a switch in the back that all of a sudden, you know, this thing was supposed to connect here and this thing was supposed to connect here and he just, and all of a sudden, this guy's like, the, the, you know, it's like the, the switch turns on and the guy can see. Amazing. But never, never was it before. This is pretty cool stuff, okay? Number six, the raising of Lazarus. Now, that ought to get your attention, right? In fact, they got so many people's attention, they wanted to kill him for it. They knew that this was, the, I'm, I was going to say the ultimate sign, but for them at the moment, it was the ultimate sign to raise somebody from the dead, not just like after 90 minutes. You know all the books? He was dead for 30 minutes. He was dead for 90 minutes. He was dead. This guy was dead for four days. Put that in the book. Make sense? I mean, let's talk about that one. He was dead for four days. By this time, he what? Stinketh. I just imagine what Lazarus looked like coming back out of there. Anyways, you know, a little... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't, did they wrap him this way, though? I mean, you know, I, I think about it. It's like if they're, did they wrap his feet separate? Anyways, we'll talk about that then. But anyways, it's a lot of fun stuff to think about that, you know, about how does all this play out. But there's a seventh one that I, that I it's just like, it stares you right in, in your face. And Chuck read about it this morning. It's in the second half of our, of our passage this morning from the cleansing of the temple. Now, there is, a, there is some who want to say that they look at the cleansing of the temple as a sign, but that wasn't the sign. It was the cleansing of the temple that precipitated the request for what? A sign. And Jesus said to them, he said, you want a sign? This is going to be your sign. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll rise it up. But we're told by John that he wasn't talking about the physical edifice the building of the temple, rather he was referring to himself. And they understood it, that when he rose from the dead, that it was a fulfillment of the sign. The ultimate sign to me, the ultimate sign that Jesus is who he claims to be, is the resurrection from the dead. What we celebrated last week. That's why in Matthew 27... Even the Jews understood. Isn't that interesting? At the very moment he say, states it, they come back and says, oh, it took 46 years. Is that right? 40 and 6 years? It took four, say it again. I was right, yeah. 46 years to build this thing, and you're going to say you're going to rebuild it in three days? I mean, that was their first thought, right? That's what our first thought. But somewhere along in the line, they began to understand. Because Jesus kept saying this. Even though the disciples were hiding in the upper room out of fear and forgetting what he had, had claimed, right? Isn't it amazing? The Jews didn't. They got it. Hey, this guy said after three days he raised from the dead. So can we put a guard here? Can we get some guards here? Make sure that the disciples don't come to try to uh, make this thing happen, you know? And then all of a sudden the, the, this will be worse than the first. And they said, you have your guard. Go make it as secure as you know how, Right? A powerful sign. The sign. So, 
So as we go through these things, and as we go through the book of John, these things are going to continue to to appear. Primarily, though, prior to chapter 12. Because the first so many chapters is just dealing with the proof of his deity. And then from chapter 13 to the end is all the final act. So from chapter 13, verse 1, that's Passover. Okay? He starts to have his, you know, having loved his own, he loved them to the very end. And then that's when he washes their feet and, and begins to teach them. And in chapter 17, to the, all the way to the point of chapter 17, he's praying the high priestly prayer for them. And then, then he's arrested, and, and then we go through the whole process. And then he comes back to them in chapter 20, in chapter 21, then is up at the, the Sea of Galilee when he tells Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, and yada, 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 okay? So, so boom, over these next so many weeks, we're going to be seeing this proof of Jesus, who he is, over and over again. But let's talk about now the events themselves, okay? Um, because, again, there is a lot of fun that's going on in this. So, first of all, we have the, the event of the, um, the wedding of Cana, of Galilee. And so, in chapter 2, we read, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana, of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited. So, note that Mary was already, what? There. We're not necessarily told that she was invited. She was there, but Jesus and his disciples were invited. So, already, these guys hanging out with Jesus are started to be seen as followers, okay? Uh, don't read too much into the word disciple just yet. Remember, a disciple just means somebody who's following, okay? So don't read this like as these were his apostle disciples. These were just some guys who were with him, okay? But his disciples, probably the same ones from chapter 1 that we saw. And it says, when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, again, I don't know... Um, uh, why Mary is involved, but she's privy somehow. Makes sense? She's there. Jesus and disciples are invited. Again, I don't want to make more into this, but it looks to me like Mary is somehow involved with the wedding concept, okay? With the, the presentation, the preparation, that kind of stuff. And so she knows the people. Maybe Jesus knows the people, okay? Um, so. Mark, did Zoe give you an invitation? She didn't. Zoe, that's pretty sad. I got, I don't know, I don't want to make it sound big, but anyways, it, I'm sure I didn't open it. I'm sure it was an invitation, but basically somebody said it's for the homeschool graduation thing, right? Yeah, okay, so, but how sad you didn't get invited. Why didn't you get invited, Mark? Because you're paying for it. Anyways, so <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? There's, there's, there's a certain differential where certain people are invited because what? They wouldn't know they could come otherwise. Make sense? But there are certain people who just, they're involved in it, okay? So a week ago, we had Hannah's wedding. I was invited to Hannah's wedding. I, I think the rest of the family was. But were you technically invited, or it was just like it was assumed? Oh, I was technically invited. You were technically invited after the fact, yeah. Good, so she was never invited. It was just assumed. Family's going to be there, right? So I don't know. I don't want to make more about this, where, who Mary is and what this wedding is all about, Okay. But Mary's there, and she's involved. And so she's privy to the fact that they're running out of wine. Okay? Not a big deal. Let everybody drink water. No, big deal. Because you look like a what? Bad host or hostess, right? So she brings it to Jesus. Now, this next statement, though, can really sound pretty bad, right? 
Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now, it depends how you read it, right? Now, I want to state right off the bat, you got some verses on your sermon note sheet. Woman is just a, a normal greeting, a normal statement. If I said that today to Marcia, I'd probably get man back. Anyways, so, okay? But the idea is, if I said to her, woman, sit in your place. Okay? Now, there would be a, a moment where it's like, uh, he didn't just tell me that. Okay? But, but in that day, woman was, was, was good. And you can look up all those verses that I have there, okay? So, not a big deal. That, that, um, in fact, he refers to his woman um, when he's on the cross. And it is a loving moment where he, he says, behold your son, you know, son, behold your, your mother, okay? And so there's a, it's, it's, it's really okay. Um, but the next statement, though, is really a mild admonishment. Because what is, what am I have to do with this? My hour hasn't yet come. Think about it. This is called the what? First, the beginning of the signs, okay? Now, again, I don't want to get into debates and that kind of stuff. We can debate a lot of, you know, all these things. But this is the beginning of signs. So, in my mind, Jesus hasn't done a whole lot at this moment, miraculously. But Mary knows something that everybody else is starting to find out, right? Mary, did you know this is baby boy? She knew. She knew. She had an angel came to her. She knew who it was, right? And so she's watching, and she's probably wondering what? Think of you, woman. I mean, the angel came to you. What are you starting to wonder? You find your feminine side there, Mark? (laughs) But yeah, yeah. But I get it. I'm the same way. When's this all going to play out? I mean, the angel told me, and so far, what? I haven't seen it yet. And so she comes to him. This is a, a, I, it's an amazing thing, I think, from Mary's perspective. It's a step of what? Faith and belief. She knows that her son's able to what? Do something. Now, I don't know whether she expected him to turn water into wine or whether she expected the, the, to be like um, Elijah or Elisha where the... I don't always mess two of them up, where the the widow's oil doesn't run out, you know? So I don't know whether she's expecting the the wine pot to just continue to pour wine, you know, how she's expecting this to play out, but she's coming to Jesus knowing that he's able to do something. But Jesus turns around and and provides her this mild rebuke. And I think there's a, a point where we need to remember this, and that is that God is the one who is in control, not me. It's not for me to tell God when he needs to do what he needs to do. He wants me to come with my request. But ultimately, God's timing is always the what? Proper timing. Woman, my hour has not yet come. Now, I also, though, in this see what? The total grace of God. Because although he didn't have to, at this moment, he does get involved. Now, be careful. The Catholic Church wants to teach you that this is the beginning of Matriola. 
that you pray to Mary because he'll listen to Mary. Yeah, that's it's all based on this, okay? But rather, Jesus rebukes her at this moment, right? Mild rebuke. But by his grace, he still does do it, okay? And then secondly, he then op- opens up in this conversation, this interaction that he has with the servants. Now this, to me, the, the thing with Mary is kind of fun. It's kind of intimate. We're kind of given this little intimate little conversation. But I like to put myself as one of the servants here. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they know about Jesus. I don't know where they've heard different testimonies coming. You know, did, did someone tell them, hey, you know, there was this guy that John was baptizing, and he said, hey, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must increase. I must decrease. I'm not worthy to unlatch the, 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 the latches on the sandals. And, and well, you know, in fact, he's coming to the wedding. That's him right there. And I don't know about all that. I just think you got to send these basic servants, right? And so Mary kind of dragged him along with her. Hey, you guys, come here, come here. I, I know who can take care of this. And so I don't know about you, but I'm thinking they're, they're probably expecting to be told to do what? Go out and buy some more wine. Here. Oh, wait, my wallet's over there. Anyways, and I'm going to you know, pull out the, the, the credit card or whatever. You know, they don't have credit cards, but you get what I'm saying, right? Bitcoins. And just give them to the, the, the servants and say, go buy me some wine. You know, bring the wine in. You know, we can't let this happen. And so here they are, and she says to them, what? Do whatever he says. Yeah, they have this little interaction, right? She says, they're running out of wine. He says, woman, what is I to do with that? Da, 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 da. And, and, and she kind of bows out and says, turns to the servants and says, what? Just do what he says. <laughs> whatever he says to do, do it. I mean, she's kind of used to this, I think, by now. I mean, he's God, man, you know? And so just, <laughs> you know, I'm moving, I'm, I'm moving out of the picture. I'm getting out of the picture. This next part just blows me away. Go bring me six pots of water, the big ones, the purification pots. Go bring, go bring me six pots of water. Okay. So they did it. I don't think they got a clue what's happening, right? Not yet. But no, it gets better. Because you've got to ask yourself the question here because you're not given the, the details here. When did the miracle happen? When did the miracle happen? Because we're not told. We're not told they brought the water, it turned into wine, and so then they were told to ladle out wine and take it. But rather, to me, I think these guys are told to ladle out water. I think they ladle out water, and they take it to the master of the ceremony. And somewhere between the ladling out the water and giving it to the master of the ceremony, it turned into wine. I would love to have seen the face of these servants when the master of ceremony says, Wow! This is the best stuff you've had. Most people put the good stuff out first and leave the cheap stuff till later because, you know, people, by then people can't taste it anymore. But you've kept the best stuff to the end. And they're looking at one another like, this was like water from the well. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, I, that's how I think it plays out. I, these guys, obedience and faith. I think that we don't see 
what God can really do. Because we don't, we're not willing to take the cup of water and give it to the master of ceremony because all we're seeing is water. These guys were servants. They didn't have a what? They didn't have a choice. They were told by whoever Mary was, whatever function she was in, to do whatever he says. So in the end, if they're giving him water, what are you doing Give me water? Well, he said to do it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he, they can always point the finger back. And somewhere in the middle of it, I'd love to know who these guys were. We're never told. Were they leaders in the church later on? I mean, from this very moment, they're like, whoa. This guy is some. And this was the beginning of signs to prove his majesty, his glory. It, it made people marvel. It revealed who he was, at least to these servants, huh? I wonder whether anybody else in that wedding ever knew how they got the wine. But these servants knew. Think about that. Has God ever done anything for you that nobody else was privy to? Did you tell them? That's the time. Give God the glory. Can I tell you what my Jesus did for me? Second one. Um, oh, and then his conversion of water into wine. Just about his whole, um, he is who he is, man. I mean, he's able to turn water into wine. Is there anything too hard for your God to do? There is nothing too hard for your God to do. You need water turned into wine? He can turn it into wine. But secondly, at the temple in Jerusalem, okay, his censure of the secularization of the temple is big to me, very huge. We come down and he comes here and he says, he found the temple, verse 14, he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers of money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold the doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Literally, it's oikos emporiu. Emporiu, sound familiar? Emporium, bring it right over into English. It's a mall, a house of emporium, a house of merchandising. They were making the, the, the house of God into a mall. They were selling things there. You guys take us for whatever it's worth. I have many, many years, God has con- just challenged me on this one. That we are not to be, and I know other places do, they, they, they have bookstores and they have whatever, and, and I, I hear that, and that's between them and God, and how they can honor God. But this whole thing was having Starbucks and everything else in the church, and yada, yada, yada. I mean, it is, do they not read this passage? I mean, I don't know how you apply this passage otherwise. Don't make my father's house into an emporium. I don't believe we ought to sell anything it's a hard thing for me when we even have to charge women to go to the ladies retreat and say you have to give a little bit toward it i don't want to p- people pay for anything awana books when we had awana even now with the kids club i don't kids ain't paying for that stuff they're not paying for their t-shirts why because it's something we want them to do if god is if god is for something he will provide for it he'll turn water into wine if he needs to Why are you selling? And not were they just selling, but they were what? Money changers. They were making a what? A profit. 
And Jesus comes in. Now, get it. Whose house is this? God's house. Jesus is God. Therefore, it's his house. This is the temple of Yahweh. Who's Jesus? Yahweh in the flesh. This is his house. How would you like it if you went to your house tonight and I had a, I was setting up all my, my, uh, my, my booths and everything else, and you know, that I was going to have people coming in because they're going to buy and sell in, in your house. You're going to go in and say, dude, get out of my house. It's my house. You don't, you don't have the right to do this to my house. That's Jesus. He's walking in. He's going, this, is, this is my father's house. Get, get this stuff out of my father's house. This isn't your house. He's letting you use it. So he censures them. And then he gives this proclamation because they want to know what authority are you going to do this with? Again, if I'm Jesus, I'd probably wipe somebody out of that very moment. Watch this. Boom. And everybody, you know, that guy wipes out. He's down to a bunch of ashes, you know. And everybody else says what? Oh, okay, we get this one, you know. But that's not Jesus. You destroy this temple. And I'll raise it up in three days. Now think of the prophetic implications, prophetic implications of that. Who's he talking to right now? Jews, specifically. Who's questioning him right now? Say again? Jewish leaders. Pharisees, leaders. Members of the Sanhedrin. Want to know, I mean, could you imagine the commotion that's happening here? I'm sure the leaders are coming, okay? I mean, they're all here. You know, this guy is just like overturning everything and just causing mayhem. And they want to know, by what right do you have this, to do this, right? And so he gives them this answer, right? Destroy this temple. Three days, I'll rebuild it. He's talking to the same ones, I think, whether individually or grouping, who are going to be the ones who what? Who do it. Who destroy this temple. You destroy this temple, and they would eventually do that. Destroy this temple, and I'm going to what? Raise it up in three days. Hence, we go back to Matthew 27 that I shared earlier, where they know it. They know that's what Jesus said. And they want to what? Block it, prevent it, keep it from happening. How silly is this? Who are they fighting with? God. The one they're supposed to believe in, but they're fighting with God. I mean, it's the very moment, this, this battle, but even later when the fulfillment happens, they're fighting with God. Do you really think that putting a, a Roman guard is going to stop God? Again, as we go through all these signs, think about what everything that, that he has done. They just saw him rise Lazarus from the dead. But we're going to put Roman troops in front of it. Because Roman troops, they're stronger than anybody. How amazing. They want a Messiah to beat the Romans, and now the humans and the Romans to try to beat Messiah. I love it. That's good. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
But I have to ask myself then, as I see all these things and I, and, I, and, and I analyze what Jesus is doing here and what he's saying, I have to ask myself, who is Jesus to me? It's easy to pick on the Jews. It's easy to pick on these guys. I've got hindsight, right? I got, I got the Bible. I can, I can read these things. These things are written for me to what? To learn and believe. And yet, who is he? Who is he honestly to you? Not just intellectually. Not just intellectually. But relationally. John 17, verse 3, part of Jesus' high priestly prayer for his disciples. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. If it's only a factual accounting to you, then there's no difference between you and the Jews of the day. They understood factually. But they didn't know intimately. Secondly, then, how much proof do you need to believe? If you're still wondering, I like to ask the question, how much proof do you need to believe? Because there's plenty of proof. How do you treat God? Are you presumptuous upon his grace and goodness? So this goes back to, to Mary and even to these guys in, the, in, the, in the, the, the temple. But there's too many times that we presume upon the grace of God and try to, in my mind, I'm not trying to pick, put Mary in a bad spot, but almost treat him like the genie in the bottle where I need something. And so I call Jesus to manufacture what I need right now rather than understanding who he is and humbly coming to him, asking, asking. Mom and dad, you get this difference between your kid coming and asking and your kid coming and demanding. I don't think we're supposed to go demanding. I think we're supposed to go humbly asking, maybe even pleading. Is there then a need to change the way you think and ultimately then change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. We know that you alone are the most high. You alone are God. And Jesus, whom you sent, is the incarnation of God, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And though that is a truly mind-boggling thing for us to, to to consider, Lord, we know that it's true based upon your word. So God, I ask that you would help us having faith in your word, in your truth about who Jesus is. Lord, that as you have promised to send your Holy Spirit to seal all those who truly believe and then to, by your Holy Spirit, to lead us into all truth and to teach us, Lord, that you would cause those who are called by your name to sense your presence with them, Lord, and that they would be led into all truth if there is any struggle within them regarding that. But those, Lord, who are not your children, who maybe, um, like the Jews, um, had intellectual understanding but not a true um, relational knowledge, Lord, that you would make, that, make them painfully aware of that and that they would want to to call upon your name and to have the joy of this relationship. 
thank you for performing, if you would, all these different signs for us that we might know that you are who you claim to be and that you did pay the penalty of our sins. That you are the chief cornerstone of our faith and that our belief is built upon the foundation um, of the prophets and the apostles, but that you are still building this lively temple for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.